Hello and welcome to Spoilerama. I'm Marina Gorski. And I'm Mick Jordan. And we've just come out of a screening of Tomato Red and then afterwards we had a Q&A with um, Juanita Wilson. Well, we didn't ourselves. There was a Q&A. Yeah, yeah there was a Q&A. And um, this was my first time watching the film. Um, and this was Mick's second time. Mm-hmm. So, good for you, Mick. So... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It wasn't really an effort. Um. So what did you think second time round? Did it change? Yes. Well, it did. I mean, it was. I loved it the first time, and I really loved it the second time because I was just so aware of where it was going, and therefore you get more absorbed into the characters. Now, I had said last week that I felt it was a bit jarring that suddenly it went from one film into another, that the plot just suddenly came along, and this time round, while I was watching it, because... I was just in that you frame of mind. Yeah. I just actually flowed much better. But that's not a fault to the film. It's a fault, I suppose, in me. Or maybe it should be highlighted. It probably will be highlighted in other reviews. But it's basically there is a settling in to the st- of getting to know the characters. And then there's a story. Yeah. Sort of. A, it's just a, a bit of a story at the end. But really, it's a character based film. It is. It's yeah. so absorbing. And well, yeah, it's so absorbing that you actually you don't know where when it's going to end so it can end at any, any moment there could have been did you expect that ending when it did end or did you just like, like it well just... I kind of knew once um, the girl did what the girl did I kind of knew it was coming to yeah. an end so I imagined soon enough there's going to be an ending and when he was in the car whatever, I kind of said oh, I kind of feel well, it's going well, to well, end it, but it is a jolt of an ending yeah oh yeah definitely yeah yeah um but I also I also felt that you kind of didn't need a story. It was great the way it was. Yeah. It's just it's that, so. And that's what I felt the first time. That I just I don't really want necessarily this development happening as of the plot coming in. I'm just so interested in these people. I'm interested in how they interact with each other and so on. And is that what you were getting from yeah, it too? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Because I just I felt what the girl felt for her mother. <laughs> that kind of a bit of. You empathize. Yeah. That kind of a, 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 a that bit of um, it's not hate. You can clearly see they have love for each other in their own way, but it was that I don't know the kind of competition between them. Yeah, they're them. constantly battling each other. Yeah, but I also empathise with the mother. Yeah, like it's it's very much like that. You don't just choose one, one of them, and you're like, okay, I like this one, or you just you choose a side or whatever. No, it's just you like all of them. And you just empathise with all of their stories. And you feel sorry for them. Because one thing that struck me, again, the first time was... There was one part where they go into a shop and they're followed around the shop by the people who own yeah. the shop. And they're saying in the voiceovers, people like us always get followed. by." And I go, yeah, because you nick stuff. <laughs> that's my first thought at the time. And that's the way I felt to a certain extent about them for a while. But then because you, as you said, you get to like them so much... You actually really say, yeah, but they're, they're trapped. They're so trapped and vulnerable. Yeah. Of course they're going to react and rebel. Yeah, and so because on. they're constantly no being washed. Yeah. yeah. So what are they going to do? They get to a point where they get annoyed and they burst. And obviously yeah. they're going to say stuff. And then it looks bad because, oh, here we go. It's that type of people that always get into rows or shout or, you know, or hit people or get into trouble or whatever. But it's not. It's just they are treated like that so much. Yeah. They're excluded so much from society like psychologically that it's just their way of reacting now back to it and it's just a cycle so it's just keeps and, going and that's what strikes me about it on the one hand they're desperately trying to get out of that trap 
and out of that cycle except the mother who seems to be resigned to it and making the best of it but they're always trying to desperately and particularly him Sammy is really trying to improve his life in some way but at the same time having this persona and pretends of I don't care I'm super cool yeah sort of thing yeah and he looks like a tough guy and acts tough a lot of the time but you can see in him because he's so well cast he looks so vulnerable like yeah. you feel for him so much and he so desperately wants to belong somewhere to be part of a family or yeah, something like that yeah because you can see he we don't really get the background of his story where he came from parents or whatever you just get him mm-hmm. and you do feel sorry for him because it actually looks like there was nothing before that yeah he was just come out of prison at the start yeah. of the film and but even like childhood it just seems like there was nothing before that and that his life is just so crap Mm. That anything, any kind of little improvement is a big, oh yeah, is a big thing, it. yeah. And people treat him so badly, like even down to that scene where he meets the two in the first place, the two other main stars, and where he is breaking into a house, and the people he's breaking in abandon him. That he's breaking in with now, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not giving away a huge amount because it is early in the film. That he breaks into a house, and then the other people have to just set him up as a joke for yeah. breaking in. And he's and he just so it's so resigned to it. He's used to this abuse sort of thing, yeah. and he just goes, "Oh," and you feel so sad. Well, it's he does say that on the voiceover. He says it's it, friendship is something that it's really hard to get to. A and point he says that where, a lot. Yeah, he says a few times friendship is so important. So he desperately needs people. Yeah. So he feels almost naive and innocent like childlike yeah a lot of the time I felt like I really felt for him the whole way through so it's yeah. heartbreaking yeah. a lot of it and cinematography really I was going comment. to yeah. get on to that yes because I had said to you that I thought I was struck by it being there was a lot of it that was very beautiful but was it over the top or was there too much of it like was it taken away and now again because I'm now watching from this is a character study it just adds to it in gives you time to pause and take yeah. it all in in terms of its placement but what did you think of it in terms of it itself oh it was beautiful yeah I could see you sighing yeah. and gasping at some of the points and it was it was just amazing I loved the way um, he I think it's a he isn't he it's cinematographer it is, yeah. yeah the way he did um, <laughs> you should check that we should, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not in the studio we can't check where the, the credits for match um because we were so interested in seeing the music and the credits for the music yes. because we and know we don't have the credits for yeah. that either. but we know someone who connected to them we know Matthew Nolan who knows the musicians yes anyway so um, I love the way he just put some of the times the characters in the corner of the scene and then just that huge of course that that just serves um, to I don't know reinforce the fact that they're excluded yeah and make them small yeah, yeah. and make it, make it seem like they're alone or whatever but the colours and everything yes. is just so, so amazing, striking. yeah. And um, but sometimes, sometimes it was just it was soft, and the characters were striking, yeah, because of the they hair, stand obviously, out yeah. It, yeah. And then sometimes they were just like blurred into the background, and the background was just so unbelievable that you just was well, epic. Yeah, there's a lot of it that is really so epic looking. Yeah, and even and um, there was a couple of shots of just a train going by. Yeah, and just every carriage was exactly the same and two different trains go on and that in itself it's just it's a moving shot and it passes time before linking into the next scene yeah and it was big widescreen vista epics for a film that costs less than two million yeah like it's beautiful to look at it really is yeah and no and i loved those scenes with the trains because it did stay a while 
Mm. Well, yeah, you didn't mind that it stayed a while. You no. just kept looking at the train go by, and you're and you're just there. It was like giving you a break. Yeah. In the st- as so you could absorb what you'd just seen and yeah. what you've been through. Um, and what did you think of their performances overall? Very good. Yeah, very real. very good. Even Jason, who was the boy, the the brother. brother I thought he was very good as well in his own way. He's a bit, um, I wouldn't say background character, but he's not striking like the other three. Yeah, he's not as important. Uh, yeah, but still, I thought he did a very good job because of that. Yeah. Because he was kind of like a shadow, isn't it, of, of them in a way. <clears throat> well, his background, and very yeah, much. Yeah. Um, well, what did you think of Anna Friel as the mother? Like, had you known of her before, or seen her in anything before? I don't think so. I can't. I know I recognised her now, but mm. I can't remember. No, I've known her. Known her. I've known her personally for years. She's a British actress, and she used to be in a British television soap called Bookside as a teenager. So this is to me. I hadn't seen her in a number of years, um, but I've seen her. She's been in various British films, and just when she appeared for the first time, I knew she was in the film. Am I? thought was all along oh she's playing her sister and then oh, oh she's yeah. actually her mother yeah. at this stage and also she's so convincingly American yeah of that like yeah. I mean she is a very British actress very much so and she just pulls that off so successfully yeah and again a very sympathetic character yeah they're all oh, so yeah. great and so different like you feel so sad for all of them but it's just I think she was brilliant and I think I think actually every actor in it was brilliant. Even the people in the golf club. Well, I yeah, I would think they were they were just too brutal. I don't think so because I think it it is that does happen a lot like mm. that because some small towns in the US, um, I found now I lived there so I can say this, um, people could be a bit ignorant, especially the more excluded towns the redneck towns you know those very uh, the people who are very like um, who would go to church every weekend and all these kind of things um, you know when the, you have these outsiders that are very striking people and are known for being troublemakers or whatever I think you kind of well not you but I mean those people who are very insular yeah obviously would would feel superior or just have that look of well I think I'd agree on that because I think and that is where a lot of us would be but you would automatically view these people this is why everyone follows them around the shops when they're in the shop that they're going to rob something they often do and why they automatically get pulled over by the police and so on is because they're assumed to be troublemakers and it's it's circular because what happens is because they're treated like that they act like that yeah and this is what the film really conveys very well um, because then you suddenly realize what their life is like because you would just prejudge oh well troublemakers are troublemakers but they've no choice they have yeah. no life yeah and they're just constantly fighting back and just an aside in the Q&A she mentioned um, she was talking about if anyone read the book of course no one had and um, I'm going to now and previous books and adaptations and she mentioned Winter's Bone and I thought I heard a reaction from you have you seen Winter's Bone? It's the one with Jennifer Lawrence yeah. isn't it? Yeah I have yeah Oh that's interesting because we should discuss that It's about, it's it's about a really that it's, a, it's, it's similar to similar to, to, character Yeah character thing is similar that kind of redneck ish you know very poor kind of yeah. yeah. And again there is a major plot in there Yeah Like the story but the film is about and I think I'm not sure if the book is whatever but certainly the film the plot doesn't matter Mm, with Winter's yeah. Bone it's all about the people and the characters and they're very rich believable characters that again in Winter's Bone are people you wouldn't like 
ordinarily yeah, you think yeah. you would just say oh you would have prejudgment on this and this is it's the same thing with this except it's just a lot less of them but of the two I think I prefer this I loved Winter's Bone oh, yeah. at the time it yeah, was well this one is a bit film. more easy I think Winter's I think Bone I think is very dark isn't it it Kinda is dark and the characters are less sympathetic yeah. I think it's the very fact that we really do like these people yeah. we really feel for them that just draws you in and that's what I would say as I said my second time seeing it I really enjoyed it more the second time like yeah. I enjoyed it but this time, second time around because of the character base so yeah. I recommend see it twice or more or more <laughs> <laughs> just buy the video and keep seeing it okay well we round it off there yeah oh, oh, you're sorry, looking, sorry yeah you're looking at me Marina, to do that Marina, now. Marina will round it off there yeah So as she does so well always without Mick telling me yeah. oh no sorry that doesn't happen it's happening now I'm not telling you anything I'm looking at you. he did anyway um, yeah we'll round it off there well and done Marina. thank you and yeah we recommend everyone going and seeing it and we don't know what's our next review because we'll, well be have L. a life <laughs> we've both seen L now we can review L oh yeah L. we're going to review L and maybe something which will else. be interesting yeah I'm dying to talk about that um, yeah so thanks for listening I've been Marina Gorski and I've been Mick Jordan woohoo Welcome to the director of the film, Juanita Wilson. Uh, first off, Juanita, thanks for joining us today. Um, first of all, this is your third film, your second feature, um, and you've yet to direct the film that you made in Ireland. What is it that made you uh, go, in this case, to British Columbia to shoot the film? Um, it just so happens just that the, the, the stories that I found happened to be elsewhere. It wasn't a conscious decision at all. Um, this book, I don't know, have any of you read the book, Tomato Red, or are you familiar with Daniel Woodrow? Have you read Winter's Bone? Or No? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he, he's based in the Ozarks in Missouri, and he very much writes of that world. Um, and originally we were looking at the possibility of filming it there, um, and we wrecked New Orleans to see and found some locations there. But in a way, I found that even though this, the book is set in a kind of small town situation, it just felt like they wouldn't be so isolated. You know, if, they, if there were people around, there might be more opportunities for employment, more support, more community. So it, the kind of, that world of isolation today, to me, felt like it should be further outside of a town. So uh, when we went up to, um, it's about four hours inland from Vancouver, up in the mountains that we shot this. And it was just, we just saw those landscapes and just those mountains that you really believe beyond those is more mountains and, you know, that Jamie will never escape from there. She'll never get away. And it kind of just spoke of both a, a certain beauty of the place, but also just that isolation that you kind of needed. And the fact that we placed them there right on the edge of a town, they're kind of like outsiders mm-hmm. um, and they really are outside of society, both physically and, and psychologically. So it just felt like a, the right location for the film, even though it's a little bit different to how the, the book itself is set. Well, speaking about a bit, the difference between this and the book, um, this is an adaptation, as you said, of a film book by Daniel Woodrow. Um, Woodrow? Woodrow. Woodrow. Um, what was the process of adapting a book like? This is your first time you've adapted a book as opposed to fiction, yes. a fiction yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the thing, I guess, of always the first question you ask when you adapt a book is how much of the voice of the author, of the, the protagonist, can you take on screen? And do you do that with voiceover or do you do it without voiceover? And with As If, I really toyed with that, whether to have it or not, and I just felt like having a voiceover on As If I'm Not There would be too much, mm-hmm. and that we just witness 
events through her eyes. But for this, I have to say, Daniel's language and the voice of Sammy, they were so special. And the whole personality of the film is kind of defined by his, other, you know, his, his uh, hard living wisdom and his philosophy. And um, the language that Daniel uses, it just felt like it just added a whole layer of richness to the story. And also, I think, I think the points at which he talks to us are the points that I really, really related to, like the ticking bomb sequence. You know, I think you just totally understand that, and, and it really brings you closer to him rather than just seeing him um, objectively. So for this, very much, it was always going to be to use the voice. And I think mm -hmm. the hardest decision with this was which bits to leave out, because there were so many other moments and lots and lots of fun like between all of them in the house where they were um, practicing and uh, lots of little things that you'd love to include but obviously film is is very demanding in terms of pace and all so we had to move forward sure um well given that you did have to drop an awful lot from the or you were adapting a book or an existing property that was already there how much of what you wrote how much allowance did you give to the actors in terms of how they adapted were they directly on the script or did you allow a little bit of improvisation on the script um, normally I would, okay. normally I would, because it's very important that it, it, it feels natural for them, it comes out in their voice. With his language, if you start tampering with it, mm. you dilute it, and it kind of falls apart. So he has very, very, very particular turns of phrases, and if you kind of leave out a little bit of it, or try and say it in a more straightforward way, you kind of lose the whole point of it. So on this, I think all the actors anyway were very committed to, to the language, so it wasn't a problem. Um, but I, I think with this, this kind of thing, you just take that world, it's the flavour, and if you start diluting it, I think you lose probably um, what's so beautiful about the flavour. Well, the actress, were, none of them were actually from that area at all. So did you have to do a fair bit of work with them in terms of uh, dialect and things like yes, that? Yes, yeah, we did, we did. We had a, a, a dialogue coach which helped us. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just extraordinary, particularly Anna Friel. I think she just did a really good job. Yeah, she totally saw that part. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. And did you manage to have a rehearsal period, given that the, the constraints of production? Yes, we did with the three younger ones, but Anna was flying. She was actually shooting a film here with John Moore, and she literally um, packed her bags, I think, on Friday or Saturday, or dyed her hair blonde, got on a plane and <laughs> flew across um, the Atlantic. So she had no time. So it was really what we had done beforehand on the phone, and then when she arrived, just sitting down and, and, and tweaking stuff, but she more or less hit the ground running, which is, is remarkable. It really is. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit then about, you said that you, the, the two younger um, big parts were cast essentially two years ago. Exactly when did you get the book, and could you talk a little bit about that transition from I want to adapt this book into the film yeah. that we see today? Whoa, I read the book a long time ago. Like I read the book before Winter's Bone came out. I hadn't heard of Daniel Wood or I didn't know anything about him. And I just, I, what I loved was the kind of the element of surprise, you know, of the story. I didn't know anything about it. And I just really loved the story and I really loved the voice. And I just thought that, that would be really interesting. And the option had, had already been optioned by somebody else. So the rights weren't available. So I looked into other work by Daniel and I, I optioned another of his books called The Ones You Do, which is another really lovely story by him and adapted it and he kind of so we kind of I got to know him a little bit through that and he was happy with that adaptation and everything and so how involved was he once once you optioned it how involved was he with the development of the script he wasn't very involved really through his own choice because because uh, it's nice to obviously have the author involved to a certain mm. extent and um, he kind of chose to be a little bit hands-off and um, there were some key decisions for example the casting of Sammy mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be absolutely sure that he was happy with that um, so gave him some options at that point, and obviously would have sent him drafts of the script. I discussed the possibility of changing the ending, which he was open to. So 
in that sense, he would have been brought along with the whole process, but he wouldn't have been breathing down my neck or anything nice. like that. Yeah. And we kind of concurred naturally, which was great. And the biggest, I think, hardest choice was deciding to shoot in Canada in, in this world rather than the kind of world of a small town in the Ozarks. Mm. And I think that probably for him was the greatest creative leap to, 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 to leave that world and portray it this way. And I did send him photos, but I could tell he wasn't fully convinced, even though he gave it his blessing. But we brought him up on set when we were filming, and when he saw it and walked around it and then saw it on screen and everything, he actually kind of said, well, I, now I see why you're here, hmm. which was great. Because, I mean, if you, if you have the rights to someone else's work, you really want to honour the spirit of that work and make sure they're happy. You know, it'd be awful if you felt like they, they thought you had um, destroyed their work or something. So for me, it would be really, really important you do hear um, some horror stories about yeah, the Yeah, but it is. I mean, it's right. their material at the end of the day, so you really would want to make sure that they were happy, you know, if at all possible. You'd love to make sure that um, the collaboration is a positive one. Um, you started your life as a, as a visual artist, and it is very evident in the films that you've made so far. What was it that made you decide to go from, uh, you know, an area where you have vast creative freedom without necessarily a huge amount of economic reward into an area that's more commercial, like film, or potentially commercial. It's still huge. <laughs> with, with, with a massive risk. Of the um, yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, what I loved about learning about film is, you know, the whole thing of the composition and the palette and all that kind of thing I think is great. And the greatest thing I, I got from um, art college was just the kind of um, drive to try and be original, like, you know what I mean, like to try and look at things in a new way or present things in a new way rather than just what have we seen before, you know, to really always try and look underneath things and, and see how you could do something. That for me was the, the, the greatest gift I think I got from art college. But I found, in Ireland anyway, the world of, of fine art is, is a small world as mm -hmm. such and I think I just felt like I wanted to tell stories on a bigger stage but I didn't really know exactly how to do that and um, I, I, I studied journalism for a time then too thinking that might be the way to kind of look at stuff but somehow eventually put the two together and in a way by by you know working on testimonies as in memoirs true stories or whatever you're kind of combining a bit of both you know and trying to I suppose what, what interests me is the emotional experience rather than just the documenting of what happened like of an event so you're trying to you're trying to show insights into something, but also um, let the audience experience a little bit of what that might be like. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, it does feel like a lived experience. So I think it does work quite well and there's a force for it. And did you find? I mean, it's it's hard for anybody to get a film made. But have you found as a, a woman that it was more difficult to get funding and get this film across the line? Yeah, I don't know really. I don't know how to answer that question because a I don't have any alternative experience as That's such. Exactly so I can't say. I mean, I guess you 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 get funding based on whoever thinks there's a value in the project. So, mm -hmm. it, you know, I I would say I haven't chosen mainstream projects necessarily so it probably is a little more difficult and um, I kind of was very clear that I wanted to use a cast that was new and fresh rather than just putting in kind of people who have been tried and tested mm -hmm. um, so therefore funders are a little bit unsure about that, that too that's always a risk for them so that will reflect on your budget as well so there's kind of choices that you make I mean shooting as if I'm not there um, not in English felt like the only creative choice, but obviously that completely limited the audience um, and things like that. So, you know, everything comes at a price and it's a matter, I think, of working out 
which one you're willing to pay. Well, actually, and I know it goes back again, but as if I'm not there, it, it was not in your first language. How much of the language did you have, and how was it working with actors in, a, in an environment where they maybe couldn't understand what it was you were asking to do directly? Um, with as if the two or three main leads had good English, so that was great. So we could actually communicate very well. It was more sometimes with some of the crew members and obviously with some of the extras that that could be problematic. You couldn't just walk in and kind of relate to everybody and explain everything to everybody or whatever. You had to have layers and layers, which slows everything down, and you've slightly less control over the tone and how people are being introduced to material and things like that. But it was I, I found it a lot harder um, with the door. Okay. Because the level of English, like the two lead actors, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, in this day and age, like I speak no Russian and um, they, you know, we struggled. So if the interpreter, for example, wasn't working in the evening and we went out for dinner, it's like, mm, you know, it's nice, yes, it's nice. Yeah. Well, another pint's good, you know, literally. And that was kind of, you know, without the interpreter, you, you, you couldn't except smile, you know. Mm. So that was, that was tricky. Um, but worth it. But worth it because... Yeah, I think it works in another way, actually, funnily enough. If you can't speak easily, you find other ways of communicating and building up trust and things like that. It's funny, I, I, I don't know why that is, but you know, you really, you, you become close in another way. Did it encourage you to think more visually about how you'd make, tell the story as opposed to thinking through it? Because this is a very dialogue-heavy film, yeah. the first two. Yeah, I think that just is a style that I would prefer. Like, so I think when, I'm, when I was writing, I probably just wrote it more in that way. So the language, I never really c was concerned with it. And I, you know, you kind of have a sense, even when they were re recording it, if it sounded true and if it sounded like it was believable, even though you didn't understand exactly the words, mm -hmm. but the tone you'd pick up on or not, whether that matched. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have an interpreter, obviously, just to guide you. Sure. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left before we have to vacate uh, the cinema. So are there any questions from the audience? Can you say what your um, biggest influence in filmmaking? I don't know. I mean, there would be people, there would be certain films I've seen over the years that I would remember. Um, I wouldn't, you know, they're not just because, like, they're the best or anything, but, like, Once Were Warriors, um, Lita Mahuri was a film made a long time ago about domestic violence in the Maori community, which was just really lovely because the characters all were very rounded and very human, and you couldn't hate any of them despite what was happening in the storyline. I thought that was interesting. Um, the Turkish filmmaker Nuribil Selong, I don't know if you know him, um, he did Winter Sleep quite recently, but he did an earlier film called Uzak, and it's just a very simple film, but it's all told visually, really. It's all atmosphere and visuals, and just letting the story unfold, and things like pacing and all, I think I, I, I would have, have looked at with his work. I love Roy Anderson. I don't know if any of you seen A Pigeon Sat on the Branch. With the Louis. Yeah, yeah, yeah the most recent one. Uh, has anyone seen that, A Pigeon Sat? I just, I, I just thought that was lovely. I know it seems to divide people hugely, but mm. I just think his, his imagination and um, precision and black humour or something is so particular. I really would love that. Michael Winterbottom did a film called um, uh, Wonderland, again, a long time ago, which is kind of like about loneliness in a city and has beautiful music interludes in it. Um, but also what he did, which I think is lovely, is he kind of came to a character that you thought you read one way, and instead of just leaving it with that, he would come back to them again, and you would see them in a different context. And he gave everybody a dignity. Um, and I think that's a lovely way to do something, you know, so it's not just obvious, you know, you have to think a little bit more. 
So anyone that adds a little complexity to things, I think, and anything that's visual. One of my favorite films would be Foxcatcher as well. I don't know if any of you, I just think that film is so cinematic and so beautifully made. Anyone else? Any questions? Yes. Uh, I was also interested about the editing process. Uh, how, in, how much involved were you in the, in the process? How long did it took? And also, if you could elaborate a bit of the process of stripping it down the final pieces yeah. that deserve to be the tale. Yeah. We started editing, we shot over the summer, and we started editing more or less in September. And we kind of, with a bit of a hiatus for um, production reasons, um, we finished in April, was it? April, we finished the sound editing. So probably five months picture editing at least, and then a, a, an overlap with some sound. I would be involved, I would be in there every day, um, working with Nathan. Um, he might try certain things, and then I'd come in, and then we would work through stuff together, or we'd ask, you know, I'd ask to, change stuff so I'd be very involved in that with him um, what was the other question the process of finding oh it digging, putting it all apart yeah I suppose like if there's anything that you're uncomfortable with or you're not sure is working I kind of said okay maybe we don't need that you know don't not sure about that maybe maybe we don't need the whole scene so we kind of took out anything and everything and tried to be very crisp and visual in the storytelling to kind of move forward with the pictures and and, and let the pictures and just do some great cuts that are pulling you forward the whole time. And we were quite pleased with ourselves at one point, and it was down to, I can't remember, a very manageable length, and it was like, okay, this is great. And then we did a test screening for some poor people who had to sit through it. And at the end of it, they were a little bit confused about some key things. Like one of them didn't know that um, Jason was the son of um, Bev. You know, key details, because we'd actually cut that bit of that scene out, or maybe the whole scene, you know? So we realized really that because you weren't spending enough time with them at the start, you weren't really empathizing with them and you weren't sure who they were, you weren't sure what they wanted. So even though in terms of just kind of visual storytelling, it was, it was much more efficient, you actually didn't feel anything at the end, you didn't feel half as much. And that even though the beginning is slow to start and, and kick in, when you spend that time with them at least, you know, it's even, it's even a matter just of seeing their faces watching each other and things like that. Having that time made a huge difference, I think, to how emotionally engaged you become in the story. And that was a real lesson for me. Um, because I would always try and, and get rid of, like, less is more. I would always try and be a little bit ruthless about things like that. But in this case, we wouldn't necessarily bring back the whole scene. We might just bring back parts of it, or we might put that a bit of it into a montage. But we ended up using nearly every setup in some way in the end. But not, not always to the full extent that it was shot. Time for maybe one final question. Does anyone here ask questions? Frank? Um, you have a lot of scenes where something <coughs> happens, but we're not told, and you kind of get it from the impression of the actors. I was wondering, did that happen? Was that originally planned, or was it when you did the editing you realised that was possible to do? Um, Probably a bit of both. I mean, I think sometimes you try and not state the obvious, like you try and state the aftermath of something and, and know that people will work out what's going on. I mean, Daniel didn't help because he didn't give me any clear antagonists. Like, he didn't give me one bad guy. Like, you don't really see who the, the corrupt people in the town are. You know, they're probably some of the golfing community, and you know William the Cop is their messenger. But you're not actually, it's not like, you know, goodies versus the baddies as such. So you don't have any of those scenes to play with. So it's all a little bit indirect, and you're having to work out, almost like they have to work out, shit, what's happened, you know? Yeah. Like, 
what happens with Jason. Like I, I, I did not want that signposted up front because then you know it's pointless. Then you just show it happens. Whereas if you go through it with them and you're not totally sure, I think it plays in a different way. So it would be a mixture of those kind of choices and then just not um, just the way that the also that Daniel would tell the story. It's mm -hmm. not just straightforward in that way. Um, any other questions? Or we just finish up then. Juanita, thank you so much Absolutely. for coming in and talking to me about